Hello and welcome to the Vagabond Actors Podcast, where we discuss all things that are related to acting, the craft, the process, and also the business side of things, and, and pretty much everything in between. My name is Gary Condes, and I'm talking to you from London. As always, I'm joined by my fellow acting teachers, who are also acting coaches and working actors, and they form this dynamic and erudite triumvirate that is Vagabond Actors. And we welcome Brian Casp, who is in uh, Prague, in the Czech Republic. Hi, Brian. How are you doing this week? Hey, guys. How are you? I'm... How am I doing? Well, I have had a cold this week. It isn't the big C... But I haven't had a cold this week, so I might cough. Well, so that's how I'm doing. Good. You're I'm, good. I'm good. No fever. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Good. You're allowed to cough, so that's all right. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. <laughs> there, it right on cue. there it is. <laughs> and we also, as always, every week we welcome Andrea Helen, who is based in Mallorca, Spain. Hello, Andrea. Hello, guys. Hola from Hi. España. Hola, ¿cómo estás? How are you? Muy bien, gracias. Very well, very well. Been um, participating in a workshop here with some beautiful actors from mostly from Germany and Austria. And that's been a lot of fun with a, a wonderful teacher whom you both know, I believe, Giles Foreman, who's come down from the UK. He's always got so much to offer. So we've been uh, really enjoying spending time there. Sounds good. Sounds like you are getting back into it and starting getting things rolling. Brian, what have you been up to this week? I don't know. What I think a lot of productions are itching to get back into the swing of things. And so I've had maybe two or three auditions a week for the past few weeks. And actually, yesterday I had a callback and then right after that, I was going to do a self-tape and the friend of mine who was going to be reading with me also had a self-tape. And on the way to the self-tape from the callback, my agent wrote and said, oh, here's a, here's another self-tape that is due at 6 p.m. tonight. And then here's <laughs> the PDF was eight pages long. There was two pages or three pages of FYI text, actually. So I just kind of, it was the first time that I had just received a self-tape. I was already at the studio I looked at it, I wrote it out on cards, and just when my friend came, we did the tape that I had been prepared to do, we did his tape, and then we just did my tape, and didn't stress about it so much, and just did it, and got it out to the agent, and they had some really great feedback, so hopefully that will be a new trend where I'm not going to sweat getting six pages of scene and then just taping it that day. <laughs> great. That's, you know, actors yeah. doing it for themselves and doing it for each other. Mm, yeah. To quote Nike, just do it. Yeah. It also reminded me how Evelyn was talking to us about, yeah, you're going to get 12 pages and you're going to have to do it the next morning or you're going to have to do it that afternoon. And that was certainly one of those times where you just got to dig in and do it. And do you feel that when you do that? Because I think the longer you've done something, if you do throw yourself into it and you just do it, like you say, do you feel that, you know, somehow the years of experience are carrying through. They carry you through. I think that they do. Like we've talked about on multiple episodes, just the practice of doing it over and over again is going to make you better at doing it anyway. It was actually kind of an interesting juxtaposition because at the callback, I 
was doing a scene with this director and he was actually giving me lots of feedback about, you know, I kind of did the scene and I wasn't really focused on the text. I was more focused on being on the, in the moment. And he was very interested in directing me to really sell the words and really hit the words to the point where he asked me, cause I was talking about, oh, I, you know, I've studied Meisner and I'm teaching it as, as well. And he's, and then we did one version and he goes, but have you studied text? <laughs> and I thought, oh, ouch. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's, oh my I mean, he was, gosh. He wasn't, he, I don't think he meant, he wasn't mean about it, but it kind of hurt. And thinking about it after, I felt like all kinds of directors have all kinds of things that are important to them. And so I was kind of going off of what the sides were. And he was like, hey, have you, have you ever analyzed a text before? And I was like, oh man, this is... So I don't think I booked that job, but it's, so you asked, you asked about whether the experience of doing it over years or doing multiple self tapes or certainly doing one or two or three a week for months helps. And I definitely think it does in one of the ways that it helps is that you don't attach so much importance to any particular take. And especially knowing that I just got it and I, and I'm allowed to read it off the page. I'm not worrying so much about, oh, I have to have this memorized perfectly. I was reading it for parts of the audition and I made some choices about what I wanted to do. And my, my partner also gave me some feedback as like, oh, try this or try that, or maybe this transition needs to be more heightened or something like that. And I think it just means that I don't sweat it so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's always you need some time to do some work in order to penetrate it deeply. But it's it's that jumping off into the unknown, as David Mamet calls it, into the great right. unknown. And and there are certain things that you can call upon instinctively. I think even if you are kind of fudging it a little bit, you can fudge it better than you did maybe ten years ago. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, and I think that the the tapes that I actually ended up with, because over the summer I did these two week acting on camera workshops that I was teaching and that kind of re-familiarized myself with some good on camera tricks and, and techniques. And so I was maybe more versed in that than I certainly than I had been uh, even three or four years ago. You know, I th think people think when, when you've been doing something for so long, I mean, yes, you become very skillful at it. And hopefully if you, if you're doing it diligently and in the right way and you're learning from it, that it's always 100%. And sometimes you, you got to just push it along a little bit or fudge it a little bit. But the thing is that you can fudge it skillfully, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, like mm. you say, because uh, yeah. sometimes there are little gaps, you know, particularly if you're forced to do it very quickly. Yeah. Well, you got to you got to rely on whatever kind of instinct you have, which is built up over the years or the repetitions of doing it over and over again. Right. Trusting the force, Luke. Mm hmm. OK. <laughs> and Andrea, um, have you started teaching your Monday classes? I did. I started with our first class. It was a lot of fun. It's challenging to start everybody at point zero. I really like teaching sort of revolving classes where people are moving in and out and they can start at any time because I think there's so much value to be gained from watching others do the work. So starting everybody out from this point of view where they really don't know much at all about what they're going to be getting into, they just know that they're eager to try it and they, they trust you, hopefully. But it's, a, it's a, a challenging position, I find, even though it's like 
class one. And you'd think after all my years of teaching, that would be one of the easiest classes. I find that actually one of the most challenging classes to, to originate. So Because you don't have that environment, right? You don't have the environment. You have to create it. And we're in a different kind of a space. And you want them to at least have one aha moment where something really genuine clicks and they are motivated to think about it and maybe rehearse it and come back and try more. You, you want them to understand like there's there's beauty in there and if they could just see a glimpse of it then they you, you see them get excited. So because you know otherwise you you're like guys to- trust me. Trust me. It's good. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. I know you yeah. don't feel it, but it's good. And, and I know where yeah. it's going. So please bear with me. It exactly. To a good place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I had to say that, I think. So I had to, I just had to be extremely patient. You know, we work, we work with the repetition exercises and I just, I'm very, very patient watching repetition until I really see them drop out of pushing or creating um, something it doesn't need to be pushed or created just to see them really lose their sense of self and self-awareness. When I see it, then I can acknowledge it and they can, they can understand what on earth we're talking about. So I can be very patient in waiting for it to happen. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. That's great to hear. Well, welcome back into the fold. I know you've been doing Thank it of sorts, but not on your own terms, 100%. That's right. So. That's right. So, yeah, welcome back home. Thank you. Or at least back to one of your homes. <laughs> yes. What about you, Gary? What about me? Yes. Well, strangely enough, I've been forced to get my director's head on this week as I've been approached with a project to see if I'm interested in directing a show in Amsterdam next year. Mm. It was originally conceived as a one-person storytelling performance that's already been performed and wants work on it. So it's not a play, but it sounds really interesting and it's something of a bit of a departure, or it would be for me. And it weaves together these elements of the uh, the, the guy's Japanese, so the narrative of the atomic bomb that fell on Hiroshima, weaving in this Native American American hope is prophecy and also the Fukushima disaster. So mm-hmm. there's all of this stuff. And right in the middle of it, there's all these anecdotes from his own family conflict. So I have had to kind of, yeah, shift heads and they're searching for a director. And I'm presently sifting through the material and see if it grabs me or not. It's kind of an interesting prospect. So let's see. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. 
So, this episode, we are going to discuss one of the most important subjects on the business side of acting, agents, actors, agents. You can't live with them and you can't live without them. <laughs> you can't kill them. <laughs> and you can't kill them. And you can't really exist without them. Although I know one or two people who have, but it's a very, very rare thing. So mm. we have a couple of questions that listeners have written in with. That first question is from a actor called Alexander Coop, who wrote to us asking probably the most pressing question that everyone starting out has. And the classic question is, how do I get an agent? And what's the best way of going about it when mailing them or getting in touch? So there's two questions in one. But really, how do I get an agent? Yeah. So who wants to kick that off? Brian does. <laughs> well, I do. You love this stuff. I do. I think this is, on the business side, the relationship that you have with your representation, be it an agent or a manager, is the most important business relationship that you're going to have as an actor. And there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of places where it might fall down in terms of communication, which I'm sure we'll get into tonight. And it's quite hard because just like getting a role, there are a lot of actors or people who want to move into the acting business. And there are a few avenues that you want to look at first when trying to get an agent. One of our early podcasts was about building out your network. And I'm a firm believer that as you build out your network and as you meet people in the business, you will organically come into contact with not necessarily agents directly, but you'll come into contact with actors who have agents. You'll come into contact with producers who know agents or directors who know agents. My agent represents directors and actors and casting directors and producers. And so if you came into contact with any one of those people, then you might ask them if you're on a job, assuming that you have good relationships with them, hey, who's your agent? Are you happy with them? Can you recommend me to them? And that's just through your network, reaching out to agents that are connected somehow with your network is, I would say, one of the best ways to get an agent. The other really good way to get an agent is to do really good work. And if you're doing really good work, and we've talked about this as well on the podcast, if you're putting your head down and doing the work that you need to do as an actor and getting your work out there, whether that's in a play or whether that's doing student films or whether that's doing short films or the things that you can get without an agent or fringe theater, let's say, it is likely that agents will see that and respond to it. And is it a long shot? Is all of this a long shot? Yes, it's all a long shot. Everything is a long shot. You can't look at it as, oh, this is a surefire way to get anything. But basically, building out your network, relying on your network, and doing good work are, I would say, the two best ways to do it. There's also basically just cold calling, researching what agencies are out there. You can use IMDb Pro for that is really good resource for, for finding out what agents are out there. Every person on IMDb Pro, which is a paid service, 
has a ranking based on their algorithm of how many people are being searched for directly and their pages are being looked at. If you're looking for the project and that person is attached to the project, then that person is going to have a higher ranking. But basically, it's a ranking of talent and and people. The number one is the most popular person, according to their algorithm, and number whatever, two million or three or four or five million is the least popular person. And so you can kind of tell where you are on that scale by looking at what your ranking is. And then if you find an agency that you're interested in, the companies are also rated. And so if you have, you can look and you can sort them by talent agencies and by location. So you can look at all of the talent agencies that are in Los Angeles or in London or in Berlin or wherever you're looking. And so you can also rank the talent agencies and see, um, oh, this talent agency is in the top 30 talent agencies. So then you can click through and look at who are their clients and what are their rankings. And so if you're looking, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if your ranking, let's say is 200,000 and you're hoping to get an agent at, uh, let's say, um, United Talent, which is one of the top tier agencies in London, to represent you. And you look at their their client list, and all of their clients are below five thousand, or let's say, you know, and they have people in the in the top tens of most popular people on IMDb. Then it's probably going to be much harder for you to get seen by them. The caveat to that is that. Uh, theater is not really well represented on on those rankings. So there could be someone who is worse ranking on IMDb Pro that is quite popular in theater. And so talent agencies will want to hire those people as well um, if they're performing regularly on in professional theater. So that's another way of doing research. But there's that's a whole other topic we could come back to. But I'll, I'll leave it there. But basically, those are my two main, main ways of, of looking at it. Great. Yeah. All very good stuff. Um, I think the thing about it, it, let's say you are starting out and you don't know where to start. You don't have much of a foothold in the industry. Maybe you haven't even been to a traditional drama school, certified drama school, for instance, in London, where you have showcases which give you an introduction to agents. They go there purposefully to to pick talent. Do your research before you go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Talk to your actor friends. Talk to your teachers and coaches. Read industry articles. IMDb, as Brian said, if you're in the States, SAG, after if you're in uk equity you know go or spotlight yeah but you can also yeah and you can go and and seek advice and and see where you might fit so do a hell of a lot of research first because you're going to save yourself a lot of time by narrowing it down rather than just um you need to go fishing with a rod rather than a trawling net <laughs> um i believe uh, because that's mm-hmm. what i used to do i just used to mm-hmm. sit in the day of black and white headshots and sending them off in the post i used to mm-hmm. have you know to spend mm-hmm. and I have a stack of licking them all afternoon you know yeah I'd end up the end of the uh, you know the end of a Sunday afternoon wanting to get them in on Monday morning with my mouth tasting like a camel's backside because I just <laughs> yeah. you didn't you didn't use a sponge my day. no man I'm keeping it you gotta get a wet sponge man it I, saves your tongue I know but I wasn't thinking that way in those days <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the kind of content you come to Vagamond actors for exactly Step one. Yeah. Um, so research. So so really sort of know what you're getting into and who and what kind of agencies. And 
for me, there's two ways. If you know someone who's with an agent that you feel you are simpatico with, or you could be, then really try everything you can to get your colleague or friend or associate or work colleague to put your stuff in front of their agent. And that's it. And then follow it up. Or if you're going to do it cold, then do not send anything in, whether it's email or hard copy, which we can talk about in a bit, because I know we're all digital mostly now and it's all email, but there are still one or two who insist on it. So read the instructions of the agent who will probably have it on their website of how they want to be approached, because sometimes they have it down Mm -hmm. there. Almost every agent that I've looked Mm -hmm. at in, in London has on their website yeah. For if you're looking for representation, then follow these steps. Email mm-hmm. this address or send hard copies to this place and and they'll give instructions there. Yeah. Right. Right. And just right. like in casting, they want it done exactly as they've said. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something to fiddle with. Like follow the instructions, take care, double check your work, just do it properly because that's too easy to get put in the no pile because you make a silly mistake like that. So those things are, like, are actually quite important. Correctly. Yeah, that too. You know, I really, I love your ideas. And I think, I think one other thing that I would say about research is once you've narrowed down some agencies that you think might be of interest to you, what I like to do is to see who's in their roster right now. And if I don't know their work, then I start checking them out. I also look at the roster in terms of you know, my type and how many women in my age range with my kind of look, my kind of resume they have. I've certainly run into that situation before where they would be a great fit for me, except that they have three of me or they think they have three of me. Of course, there's only one of me, but they think they have three of me. And so from their perspective, they're like, no, we're, we're all full up on the German, French speaking, tall Amazon women. Thanks so much. And then a lot of these agencies now use social media quite interestingly. Um, Some of them are on Twitter, but a number of them are on Instagram, and they're using Instagram to promote their actors. They're using it to, you know, do a running sort of marketing piece of check out, you know, on Sadie F tonight at 8 p.m. This actor is portraying this in this co-production and they give a lot of credits there. And they're, you know, often crediting the casting director who cast the project. So they're, they're often also tagging a lot of the production people who are involved in that and then tagging the actor themselves. So then you can go over and look at the actor's Instagram. So you can really get a sense of, the kind of headshots that they're promoting at the agency, of course, the caliber of the actors, the type of actors, how often they're working and what kind of projects they're working in, which kind of casting agencies are booking from this talent agency, et cetera. Like you can start to see the threads come together. And for me, I find this helpful. My husband would call that over-researching, but it's really helpful for me to understand which pond I'm about to dip my toes into and to really see if it feels like a great fit before I reach out to them. Yeah, it's very important. And to just cut away as much fat as you can, to just be able to to, mm-hmm. to, to lay the land where you can put your attention properly and you're liable mm-hmm. to get more results rather than going in blindly in a crapshoot, you know. I mean, That's but right. also it's very it's very important before you do any of this, if you are really starting out, is it's a bit harsh, but, you know, people say, well, you can start to juggle a few plates at the same time. And I'm like, well, don't do anything until you have a fantastic headshot, a showreel, mm-hmm and a decent CV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a CV full of top work, but CV with credits 
of whatever nature, but presented well. So CV, headshots and showreel, if you don't have those, at least a showreel, then you spend a year or two while going to class perhaps and gaining experience in your acting by getting together a strong portfolio, if you want to call it that, so that you have something strong to present because you're not going to get many chances at these places. I just want to caveat it because the rule about being prepared in terms of having your materials done, it might not apply if you are just graduating from drama school because you wouldn't be expected, at least as far as I know from the UK, to have that much professional work already because I think a lot of agents are going to want to get people who are young and shape them and and basically create the career rather than leaving drama school and then waiting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're differentiating between the fact of a young person who is getting snapped up from a drama school showcase, perhaps. Right. Who all they have on there is three years of training or four years of training or whatever, and that their CV consists of a set of plays and productions that they've been in a drama school, and their showcase production is enough to secure them an agent of whatever caliber. Right. Absolutely. But once that possibility has not happened, you, yeah. you flag something up actually quite interesting in terms of the process of that and the journey, because once that opportunity is gone then you are less likely to be given an opportunity based on your interesting, youthful type, if you like. Yeah. Because they're still judging it on a showcase. But then there's those who are haven't been snapped up, let's say, and are then cast into the the, the quagmire of finding work. And, and Right. And in that case, just as you said, you want to have a quality headshot, be it professional if you can afford it, or just quality and in the model of professional headshots, you want to have a show reel or something that you can show them of your work. Or if you're in a play, that is another way of getting them to come and see your work. That uh, There's a lot of people who are in productions that send out invitations to agents to come and see them. Or there might be other actors in that production who are inviting their agents to come and see them. And you also want to have your website in some kind of shape that people can see it. You want to have your CV with some kind of, so it's not all fluff and filler. And you can get that kind of work before you land your agent. You know, there's another alternative if you are in a new stage of the of an acting life and you don't have material for a show reel. In some countries, they use these about me videos. Um, they're used fairly often in Germany, I know, and in German-speaking countries and sites like Filmmakers and Cast Upload, Italenta, you can upload these About Me videos. And a, a lot of casting directors really seem to love these, where they get a sense of your essence, your uniqueness, your energy, your voice. And I think those are interesting options that we tend not to have in the U.S. markets so much. They really just want to see your acting work. But I think the About Me video is a nice alternative in particular for actors who are starting out. And even experienced actors are adding these because maybe they're not getting the roles that are fully reflective of the breadth and of their interesting lives and their energy. Maybe there's a certain type that they tend to play, but there's much more to them that they want the casting world to know about. So those those can be really helpful as well. And those tend to run anywhere from, oh, one to three minutes. 
maybe a little bit longer and they're really simple and we can, you know, if you have some questions about those, we can give some guidance, maybe find some good examples to post as well. Yeah. So without that benefit of this other person who is there to help you get work, you want to be putting yourself out there in any way you can. Well, maybe not in any way you can, but in in any professional way that you can, which would include joining these online sites that Andrea just mentioned, and there's others where you can be listed and you can submit yourself for roles that if you have an agent, they will be doing that work or they should be doing that work. But there's a lot of opportunity. It may not be the highest paid professional work, but there's other opportunity for you to get work through these websites as well. So certainly not having an agent and having an about me video or something that someone can go, oh, that's this the essence of this person. I can put them in a role, then that's going to help you get work anyway, not just help mm-hmm. you get an agent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a real symptom of how everything is so moving so much digitally and online. It's an extra thing now that casting directors and agents, obviously, can click on and see you without having to go and watch you in the theatre. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how it used to be. I'm not saying they don't do it still. They still obviously go to the theatre and watch your work. But I think because things have moved so quickly digitally, there is now an extra step that agents take so that it can suss you out before they even go and take a flying punt at going Mm -hmm. to a fridge theatre and spending a dark January night traipsing across the other part of London to check you out. Uh, But it's a good thing. I'm saying it's a good thing because it adds another step to the process, perhaps, and another weeding Mm -hmm. out, which saves everyone time, I think. Yes. Well, okay. So, but I have a question now. So, so let's say you've, either a friend has recommended their agent to you and they might have been gracious enough to actually email the agent and say, Hey, there's a friend of mine. Or they just said, hey, this is my agent, you can use my name and contact them. Or you have researched an agent, you found one that you think you would be a good fit for. How do you get in touch with them? How do you formulate the email that you might send or the letter that you might send? in the process of doing that right now as I'm looking so for you European that? agents. I'm just starting to, well, I haven't restarted it yet. I'm, um, I'm still composing it in my brain, which is what I do, but one should be professional and clear and respectful and enthusiastic. And, um, if you have links to your website or to your reels, then provide those again, follow the instructions that they put on their own websites about how they want you to submit. I don't know that there's a magic formula. I think if they know they're going through submission emails, their intention is then to look at the CV and to look at the, uh, at the reel. So they do that with that in mind, just as they used to open the manila envelopes and know that they were getting submissions to be considered. So that's their intention in receiving it. I don't think it's, you know, you're being sifted through and it's like, oh, I don't feel like looking at another actor today. No, they're always interested in talent and they go to open those emails with the intention to see your work. So be, be lovely and be professional and follow the instructions. That's really, that's, that's the strongest advice I can think of. And if you, if you were referred by something, somebody, then I think it's appropriate to be upfront about that. You know, Hey, Evelyn Edwards, uh, speaks so highly of you and she's Mm -hmm. recommended that I reach out to you. And I'm very grateful for her enthusiasm. Here's who I am. 
I would love to set up a meeting or or take a call with you. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much to add to that because I think that's the, really the, the crux of it. But, I mean, it is funny because like casting directors, you hear one thing about one lot and one thing about another lot. And some agents don't mind a montage at the beginning of your showreel and others don't like it. And, mm-hmm. you, right. <laughs> you know, so you're going to hedge your bets somewhere <laughs> along the line. So it's basically yeah. do what you feel like. So certain things might put some agents off, but not others. I mean, one thing I've heard of someone doing is appear professional, obviously. And if you're writing an email, keep it clear and brief. Yeah. Uh, Remember that the agents, they don't want to spend a lot of time reading through no. your email. No. Get to the point, like just mm-hmm. like what Gary said, get to the point. Mm-hmm. Be courteous, be witty if you're witty, but get to the point, say, this is me. I'm looking for a representation. I think I would be a good fit for you for this reason, and then get out of there. I don't know if you've heard about this, but bluff, bottom line up front, put what you want from them and why you think it would be good right at the top, because mm-hmm. that might be all they read. Mm-hmm. Just like you put your best work on a showreel at the beginning because that might be all they see. You don't mm-hmm. save the best work to the end of the showreel because right. they might not get there. Right. Put what you want up front and make it short and brief. Sorry to interrupt, Gary. No, see, it makes complete sense. But having said that, there's always a flip side. You know, mm-hmm. yes, keep your cover letter short and to the point. Don't go into sort of crazy detail about your childhood in a farm in Iowa or whatever. You don't need to know that <laughs> until you get... <laughs> Only if you're a Superman. You know? So, yeah, so you don't need to go into that. But, you know, I've heard reports back of uh, an agent in the subject line, you know, actor seeking representation. That's, of you know, or seeking representation. That's the obvious one. But, you know, I've heard an agent being caught by, I just got great reviews, you know, being caught by that. So I'm not saying that's necessarily something that you should do. But in one particular case, it led to someone being interviewed and then getting an agent. I do think that if you are referred to someone, you are referred to someone, don't be smart, you know, name the name. Uh, if it's a casting director, try not to be too clever and smart. And maybe just, maybe more in America, you tell me, than here, but perhaps maybe allude to a professional understanding of what your type might be or your branding might be. Maybe that's maybe too soon to do that in the letter, but maybe it's not. I've heard both cases. It's it's about not doing the things that will mark you down in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Also... You can include a link to your showreel, a link to your resume or your IMDb profile if you have that, um, a, a link to your spotlight page and just say, hey, this is me. Here's my stuff. And, you know, take care, you know, hope to hear from you soon and send it off. Don't expect a response. Go about, you know, being awesome in your own life. Put your head back down and do your work because, you can send off 30 emails and get zero response. What putting links down, let's say your website, Spotlight, Showreel, Showreel what it shows, it shows what we just talked about earlier, that you are treating yourself seriously and professionally, and you've got the tools, you've got the beginning tools of the trade. So, I mean, if you don't do, if you haven't got links to that, it's saying it's making it easy for them. So if you haven't got links to that stuff, then what, what have they got to go on? Um, yeah. But just, just to, again, add a different possibility is that, I know an agent who's mentioned that and they said, if I don't see a picture of someone, I'm not going to click on anything. So what they advise is to put a small thumbnail picture of, of rather than mm-hmm. attachment, like you say, like a huge attachment, which they still have to click on so they don't see it because it's an attachment. But perhaps right. a, a small thumbnail or a large thumbnail under the name 
or above the name or in the body of the of the email. So then at least they go, oh, that's, that's they're interesting. Yeah. And that's a possibility too. So then, yeah. you know, well, I, I am going to now click on their link. So it's a kind of, what do you call it? Clickbait in, in social media um, terms, right? It's something that hooks you in. Yeah, exactly. But certainly don't, I've heard tale of actors putting many large, like several megabyte sized photos, attaching those to their email for their reference. And you, you don't need a lot. If you have two very different looks, maybe two photos, I like the idea of actually embedding it in the email so that they don't have to click to open it to see it. They can just see it. Yeah. And if you are sending extra files, like self-tapes, what we talked about on self-tapes, name the file with your name so that they can find you again. Because if it's just image whatever and a bunch of numbers, and for some reason they download it onto a central server and it gets lost, you're screwed. They will never find you again. Yeah. Really That's just basic email 101 for sending stuff to people. Yeah. But let's say miracle of miracles. So an agent says, Hey, I, uh, I saw your, you know, your email. Um, I would like to meet with you. And then what? Da, 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 da. Then you take a yeah, shower uh-huh. before your meeting. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You put pants on. <laughs> What am I going to do? I am going to, well, I'm going to prepare myself mentally and physically, you know, to be professional and clean. It's it's a professional meeting. It's a professional meeting and you need to, yeah, you need to show up as a professional. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be professional in that you're like, you're dressed in a suit or something like that, but you have to think about these meetings and any of the contact that you have as it's a professional contact. How would you go in for an audition? You know, would you go into an audition kind of uh, messy and and with clothes that maybe you were wearing yesterday and you slept in and, you know, you haven't put yourself together? It, I, I don't think you would unless the character was specifically that. And even then, like, you, that probably is a turnoff to the casting director, even if it was the character that you were coming in for. So when, especially when you're going in to meet an agent, take some time to groom yourself the way mm-hmm. that you would want to present yourself to have a think about that. Right. So be sure. physically um, ready, probably need to think about clothing that's not too outrageous, but that you feel good in. And that gives them a sense of your shape because they do need to know about your physique and get a sense of it. So don't hide yourself, be in professional clothing, but, but let them see your shape. And then come prepared, bring your materials, bring hard copies of the photos and the resumes and anything else you may have. Be prepared with that. And, you know, this is a little old fashioned, but I think it never hurts to have a monologue in your back pocket for these situations because you just never know. If it's going along swimmingly and they've, you've submitted material, they've seen the reel, they like it, they just want to talk about the work you've done, the kind of work they think you should be doing, great. But I've been in situations where they're like, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, why don't you show me what you can do? Do you have a monologue for me? Like, they'll pull that out. So you should be prepared with something you know, a minute monologue, maybe that's, that's of interest to you that you think shows off your work and that you'd be comfortable doing in a pressured situation. I've been asked to sing in audit in, uh, in meetings with agents before, you know, it says here in your resume, you're a mezzo soprano. So can you give me something? And there I am doing, you know, 
summertime in the middle of an agent's office. So I think you have to be prepared physically and mentally to do a little bit of a dance um, in case that's the kind of energy in the room. And they just really want to, they really want to see some of your talents. Um, I think you need to go in prepared, having done your research, prepared to talk about their business and to know the projects that they've done, to know what they're working on, uh, to know the kind of actors that they have in their roster, get really familiar with it. Then you need to have your list of questions. What are the things that you need to understand about how they work? Do you you want to know about the contracts, about whether they use contracts exclusively, what the term period is? And this is maybe later in the conversation if it's going well, but these are the kind of things that could come up that would be part of a professional conversation. What is the percentage of commission that they owe? What yeah, are that's their an important one? It's an important piece of the of the of the relationship, you know. What are their expectations for you in terms of communication? How do they like to be communicated with? What are the kind of things that they would like to see an actor of your caliber and of your type to be working towards? I mean, I think you could really open up the dialogue and look at you know, first of all, is this somebody I want to date? Like, is there a chemistry here? And, um, can we, can we find some mutual benefit and enjoyment in this relationship? Does it make business sense for me? And then can we be, you know, a team in terms of marketing, marketing me and my work? Do we, are we on the same page about how to go about doing that? And then you've really got to, you've got to be checking your gut all the time as well. Does this really feel like something that's lovely to me and that I see a future in? Is this somebody I feel I can trust with my business and that I want to be building something together with? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a classic is, you know, question is what kind of roles will you submit me for? So you get a sense mm-hmm. of who they are. I was once asked one of my first agents, uh, my second agent, actually, they were asking me a lot of questions, you know, and I was pretty green and I was you know it was one-way traffic they were asking me a lot of questions and I was very nervous and I wasn't that gregarious <laughs> at that stage mm-hmm. my life um you know <laughs> in, the, in the way that I am now and they said to me you know and they may already know this because that's why they've asked you in from a show reel or from a show but he said to me aren't you going to ask me what I like about your work Oh, I was like, oh, and now obviously they know it because they would have asked you in. They would have spotted that in the showreel. And I thought maybe that's a bit too much asking, what do you like about me? It's a bit too egotistical. But I think it's a very, very pertinent question. And, you know, let's remember that without being arrogant and confrontational, you are sussing them out as much as and interviewing them as they are you. So what do you like? about my work is a really cool question to come from an actor. It's a reasonable question and it'll help you understand the agent perception of your ability. Mm-hmm. And you may not agree with it, but you need to understand it because that's when the business side and the selling side comes into it. That's right. If you watch their answer to that question, how do you think that they're talking to casting directors about mm-hmm. you? That's basically what you're asking. Is your is your, it's not saying, hey, can you can you big me up and tell me how great I am? It's you're saying, what are you going to tell the people that you're talking to about me? Right. And how excited can you get about my work? Right. Because a big part of the agent's job is selling you to the casting director. Right. 
or -hmm. to the producer or the director. They have those contacts or they're able to get into those meetings or those, those contacts. And their job is to get you in there. And so they have to sell you. And so that's a it's a great question. Can I make a suggestion a on the question? Yeah. Some people might be able to ask that question and it would come off as completely charming and they would know when to put it in, in, in the right way. But there may be some people listening who say, oh, that feels really brazen and intense. Like the minute you said the question, Gary, something rose up in me. There's maybe a way to go about getting that information in a way that is a little less straightforward, but still, still brings the point across. It could be something along the lines of, I'm so pleased that you wanted to arrange for today's meeting. And, you know, as, as we talk about marketing and my work and what we would hope to create together, I would love to ask you a question just so I can have an understanding of your own artistic sensibilities. So you saw my work and can you tell me, you know, which scenes were you most interested in or was there something in particular that induced you to make the call and to reach out to me? You know, there's there's something like that that you could put together, which is really saying, what did you like about my work? That's my language. That's Andrea language for how I'd handle that in a, such a situation. Right. Uh, but I'm just offering that up as an, as an alternative because some actors may just feel that they can't express it quite as um, directly. You've hit the nail on the head. That's the question. But how you ask it has got to be authentic from who you are. Now, some people can be mm-hmm. blunt like that and get away with it, you mm-hmm. know. That's right. So what was it you liked about my work, you know, or, or you can go in a roundabout way. But like you say... It's about asking it authentically. You can phrase it how you yes. like. I think it's a really good point to get a perception of Absolutely. their perception of your ability. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's what a, what a very thought-provoking point. That's very powerful. That could be a very powerful leap in, in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You see what you're dealing with straight away, then, don't you? Get straight to the crux. Yes. Then you know mm-hmm. what part you're going on. And like Brian says, how they're speaking to people, how they see you, what your possibilities are. Mm -hmm. So some other questions that you could ask a potential agent, because they're going to be talking about you a lot and they're going to be talking about your journey, but you can also ask them them about their journey. How did you become an agent? What do you like about being an agent? What are some of your, you know, real triumphs as an agent? Or what are some things that you wish you could do differently as an agent? I mean, you can really turn it into uh, an information session about them, which you wouldn't be able to get from just from looking at their credits. Mm-hmm. And you might feel, especially people who are just starting out, and maybe that's their first meeting with an agent, you might feel like, oh my God, but they have all the power. Well, but they don't. They don't. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they can't function without good talent. Mm-hmm. And you absolutely have the right to interview them and see what they're about. You can kind of think about it like if you're looking at places to rent, if you just take the first place that you see, if you've just looked at one place, you don't even really know what you want. You know, you might have to look at five or six places before you find the place that you're like, oh, this is all the qualities that I actually like in an apartment Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. So it could be similar with an agent where, you know, maybe you'll find someone that you really like at the first meeting, or maybe you'll feel like I got to get just something and then I'll keep looking. That's possible too. But you really want to try to kind of suss out, is this someone who I really want to be in a business relationship with? Mm -hmm. Do I feel like I trust them? Do I feel like 
they are as excited about the work as I am? Or do I feel like they have the qualities that complement my own where they're going to be tough in business and I'm going to be more artistic? You know, when I was looking for an agent, I wanted someone who was going to be very proactive and very like aggressive almost in terms of their style, because I felt like that was something that was necessary for what I wanted in, in an agent, the way that I liked to have the business going. And so that was something that I would respond to. Whereas if I met with an agent who was more laid back or more, well, we'll just see, you know, when the phone rings, we'll pick it up. Well, I'm sorry, that's not interesting for me at this point. And there's a lot of agents that are like that. They, they'll pick up the phone, but they're not going to be initiating a lot. So it's good to, it's good to get into that when you have a meeting where you can learn about that stuff. Right. right. And so after you've had your wonderful, successful meeting, very important also is to do a proper professional follow-up, sending yeah. a thank you email, appreciating and a specific email beyond just thanks for your time can go a really long way. Yeah. You know, I so yeah. enjoyed meeting you and hearing about X, Y, Z. I'm excited to see about this next project you're doing. Please stay in touch. I look forward to hearing from you, blah, blah, blah. Like be specific, be a good listener in the meeting and then send yeah. uh, a, a gracious and professional follow-up. It's a really important piece to close the loop. Yeah. They want to know that you're on the ball. They're, they're getting into business with you. They want to see that you know how to handle yourself in professional situations before they send you into That's casting cool. offices. Their relationships with the casting directors are so important. So they want to know that they can trust you to go into situations and handle yourself like a professional, even if you're just starting out. I would highly recommend... Just on that note, you're going to meet the assistant. They're going to tell you their name. They're going to say, hi, I'm Gemma, or hi, I'm Mark, or whatever the name is, right? Include them. You know, it was great meeting you and and Mark, or it was great meeting you and Gemma. Right. The assistants are integral to the process of running an agency. The agents will do a lot mm -hmm. of the top level stuff, but the assistants run the show. And so being nice to the assistants and being appreciative of them setting up the meeting or getting you a glass of water or whatever they're going to do is going to go a long way. So just remember yeah. that and be very kind to the assistants. They work their asses off for almost no money. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, just, just, just wanted to throw that in there that the assistance is not to be forgotten. It's not all about the main agent. Mm. Absolutely. I think it's a professional transaction and the art and the artist can be on set and in the classroom, but here you got to be a professional and you've got to exemplify yourself as a professional because that's what they wanting to put up to right. people. So I think that's, that's, that's a really good, really good point. And it's a, it's, it's, it's that balance of being personable, but also professional. It's a skill and it's something that needs to be addressed, especially when mm -hmm. you are getting into business with them. Yeah. That's right. Speaking of being in business with them, we, we've talked about having another part two to this conversation, looking at how to maintain that relationship, nurture it, find your way through it. And what if, what if you've ended up with the wrong agency and it's time to make a change? How do you go about doing that? So what do you guys yeah. think? Can we, um, can we continue the conversation uh, in another episode? Well, there's definitely more to talk about with agents. Mm -hmm. and I think that every actor has a story, hopefully not a horror story, but a story about the relationship 
that started out nice and then ended up being not the best fit, let's say, put it mm-hmm. diplomatically. So I think that we can kind of talk about maybe some of our experiences with dealing with when the relationship isn't what it should be and how to mm-hmm. and how to negotiate that. Right. And basically what the day-to-day relationship might be with dealing with your agent or, or communicating with your agent. Great. Definitely. There is another episode to come on actors agents. There we go. <laughs> We've talked about how to get one and the best way to go about it. And we'll talk about once you've got one, <laughs> how to, make how to, how to pine for a better one and how to get a better one. Because <laughs> That's another thing, right? That's another thing that happens is that almost every actor you talk to, oh, I, know. I mean, maybe if they're with the best agency in the world, that, that, then it's another thing, but even those have their ups and downs, but every actor is going, Oh, I, I have an agent, but I'm looking for a better one. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's always fraught. It's a fraught relationship. It's a tough one. So the ones I speak to, they always, they come across like it's more of a marriage than their actual marriage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, when we, when we see that the award, shows and we hear in the acceptance speeches sometimes I just have to give thanks to my longtime agent who's believed in me all of these years that gets me like that gets me almost teary on and like not just do I want to be on a podium one day but I want to be able to say thank yeah. you to somebody who helped me you know achieve this dream and who supported me it's a beautiful it can be a beautiful thing but yeah, I find a, a bit of envy when I hear them say that. <laughs> well, there's definitely more to talk about for sure. <laughs> yes. And and certainly if you guys have other questions for us about agents or about the relationship or how to get them uh, we haven't covered, definitely let us know at Vagabond Actors on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, and, uh, and all of that. So, Brian, what have you read, watched, listened to this week that did it for you? Well, I am... I hope I haven't talked about this before. I can't remember what I've talked about, but I, I'm loving watching Lovecraft Country. Have I talked about what that? What is no, that? What is that? Lovecraft Country is on HBO and it is a great series. It's set in the 60s, starring like an almost all African-American cast. And there's all these paranormal and kind of Lovecraftian style witches and warlocks <laughs> things that are happening and the lead of the show is a is a fantasy nerd and um and really loves those comic books and stuff like that but that's dealing with all kinds of uh race relations in that time mixed in with all of these horror slash fantasy elements and oh. it's and it's really well written the acting is exquisite and i i'm really really loving it so definitely check out lovecraft country on hbo andrea what has spoken to you this week what work well i really enjoyed again the workshop that i was referring to earlier that uh, that i sat in here in mallorca this was uh lovely stuff a lot of um reminders about the importance of the body to the actor, especially the film actor, and not to forget the body piece and how how the body can impact the mind, that element of the relationship between the mind and the body. I've been doing a lot of thinking about that and looking for some more reading on that, actually. So I'm in the search for something to dig into around that topic. And then there's a book, uh, it's, it's 
seen more as a business psychology book by Scott Sonnenschein, who's a professor at Rice University, which is my alma mater, called Stretch, Unlock the Power of Less and Achieve More Than You Ever Imagined. It's interesting. I had heard him speak on a podcast, and I was really intrigued by what he had to say. So I ordered the book, and there are some relationships between his ideas of, of resourcefulness and using resources and this idea of being either a chaser or a stretcher. Are we exhausting ourselves, always pursuing more and more chasing things, or are we stretching ourselves by building upon the resources that we have and becoming creative and productive. And I find a relationship between what he's describing there and the Meisner work, specifically the doors and the activities, the independent activities and how we're functioning when we have to get something done and use what we have and what it creates in the body and the mind and the way it opens up um, the mind for that creative impulsiveness. So I find there's a relationship between what he's talking about, the science of resourcefulness and the Meisner work actually. So I'm enjoying that very much. Great. Cool. Gary, what about you? What have you encountered this past week that's blown your mind? Yeah. Well, um, I, throughout lockdown, I've, as you well know, have every now and again re returned to a, a film director or an auteur. And um, this last week or two since I got back off holiday, I've been getting back into and uh, searching more out the films of the maverick innovator film director Robert Altman. Mm, and, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. there was a time where I used to watch it as an actor, but now where I am now in life with the work I do, I'm always looking at it from an acting point of view, but also from a, a bigger picture as a either director or just the screenplay or whatever. But um, as an actor, you know, I advise all actors to watch his work because he's great ensemble pieces. There's a lot of improvised work that goes down where they stray from the script. He was famous mm. for pioneering the overlapping dialogue which, you know, mm -hmm. tips a hat at reality and truth where it's not your turn, then my turn and your turn and my turn, um, unless you're doing a podcast, because then it can get very difficult if we keep overlapping. But in real life, people talk over each other and all the rest of it. So from an acting point of view is, is really look at the sort of, there's a looseness to it, but it's still carrying the story. And there's still performances that are very nuanced and specific. Um, mm -hmm. And Keith Carradine, which is one of his collaborators and acts, you know, he said he was always wanting pure behavior and he wanted the essence of people. And that's what his, he said that was his genius of casting. And he really cast some, some very odd characters or odd actors rather as characters because there were some very unique performances. Um, so mm -hmm. I would recommend getting into some Robert Altman. Um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, starring Warren Beatty and Julie Christie. It's got such an amazing atmosphere to it. And what I love about Robert mm -hmm. Altman, looking at it from an, an overall point of view and not an, just an actor's point of view, is for me, and this is as, a, as, a, as an Englishman, he, he really gets at a sense of Americana. There's, an, there's mm -hmm. a real slice of Americana then. He looks at, with love at what's good about the human human heart. Um, but what's at fault with it? And he often does it with a humorous critical eye. But it's there's a real, it's very American, but without it being sort of um, gung-ho. Um, but yeah, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Shortcuts is a well-known one, where it's a yes. great ensemble piece. 
Nashville is a fantastic, yeah. albeit long. Stunning, yeah. Fantastic. So Robert Altman is my tip of the week. Excellent. Great. So I've already plugged the Vagabond Actors social media accounts. If you listeners want to get in touch with us, please do so. We love hearing from you. We love hearing what you're up to and what your questions are. But for us personally, what are our social media accounts? How can we plug ourselves or, or anything else you want to plug, uh, guys? So Andrea, what about you? What, do you? what do you have to plug this week, even if it's just your own Twitter account? <laughs> I have to plug, come to Mallorca, come study here, come make films here. And, um, and let's talk on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene or on Instagram at Andrea Helene three. Great. And Gary, what have you got to plug? What have you got out there? Well, I am, um, I've recently launched a, a scene study course that is going online. I will be shortly announcing casting technique course, character work course, script analysis course. So a whole plethora of courses online and live in the studio, but there will be more solo work rather than partner work for obvious reasons, because we are in the, in the thick of, of, of things still. Um, so yeah, and you can get hold of me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but probably best to grab hold of me via my website, garycondes.com. Excellent. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram, and I have a Facebook page. And if you are interested in acting classes in Prague, you can go to acting.cz, which is the website that I have for my acting classes. So that's it for how to do your research and get in touch with an agent and uh, how to do the meeting and act professionally. If you have questions for us, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.